It's the last episode of the year for the Candice Welcome Show, the last episode of 2021. So we'll look back and look at some of the biggest stories of the year. We'll look ahead at what we have in store for 2022, and we will give the viewers a wholehearted thank you for their support and the support of True North over the past year. I'm Candice Malcolm, and this is the Candice Malcolm Show. Hi everyone, thank you so much for tuning into the Candace Malcolm Show. And this is a this is the last show of the year. This is it. It's a big show. So I want to thank you for tuning in and remind you that if you're watching over on YouTube, I'm gonna stop you right now, ask you to like this video, subscribe to True North, and hit that little notification bell so you never miss an episode. If you're watching on Facebook, don't forget to like the video, share the video, and head on over and like the True North page. Finally, if you are listening to the show in podcast form on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you enjoy your podcast, please don't forget to subscribe to the Candace Malcolm show and consider giving us a five-star review if you like the content it really helps us out all right so here we are the last show of the year and to help us break down the news of the past year and to look ahead at the year to come i'm going to bring back my colleague andrew lawton we had him on the show yesterday to talk about some of the issues that the media just really got wrong the biggest stories of the year and i wanted to bring him back to delve a little deeper into the work that true north has done so andrew thank you so much for joining the show again great to see you again Hey, happy to be here as we uh, count down to the new year. Yeah, this is sort of our new year special since uh, tomorrow's Friday we won't have a show. So I, f I figured today I would have you on again. Yesterday we talked about what we thought were the biggest stories of the year that the media got wrong and the ones that the media blew out of proportion. Today I wanted to focus a little bit more on what we do here at True North. So let's let's talk about our own sort of coverage and what we focused on and what we did in the, the the year that's just wrapping up right now so to, to you what, what were sort of some of the biggest highlights of the year in 2021 for you and true north i know we touched on it a little bit yesterday but i'm going to say the election and for two reasons number one elections are just like the super bowl for political wonks and media types it's just it's always non-stop content non-stop news we get to flex our knowledge about current affairs and history and all of that but I'd say for True North especially, the last two federal elections have, have really been, in my view anyway, where we've been able to, to shine as an organization. Like we, we did in 2019 election, I, I think in a lot of ways, 2019 was our breakout moment to a lot of uh, different groups. We, we went from an organization that was doing a lot of great work to one that was doing more great work and, and with a bigger audience. And we, we kept that up, I think, after 2019. And 2021 was no exception to that. I mean, we had uh, me on the campaign trail uh, covering the Conservatives, covering the PPC. We had people at the election night parties for uh, the PPC and the Conservatives. We were accredited to cover the debates in, in Gatineau, which, again, we didn't even need to go to court this time. So, so even the Leaders' Debates Commission conceded uh, this time that we were, in fact, real journalists. So it was a really good, I think, moment organizationally for us, but also in the content we were producing. We had a, a, an amazing team that was doing exclusive reports every day. Many of them were being picked up by other media outlets. Some of them even made their way into party platforms and, and party talking points, which isn't our goal, but it's a sign of our work being noticed and, and having a, an, an increasing influence. Right. You know, it's funny because in 2019, we sort of became the story and it wasn't that we wanted to. We really just genuinely wanted to report and, and be able to break news and tell the stories and connect with our audience in a way that journalists do. And for some reason, the liberals 
thought that that was illegitimate or thought that we were activists or something. It did, their, their explanation didn't even really make sense. The, the media didn't bat an eye. They just said whatever. Um, and, and we actually had to go to court. And, and, and I think for, for me, that was almost a distraction because, again, I would have much rather been focusing during that election on breaking the news stories and, and sort of being at the forefront of all that. But it was it was such a righteous battle and it was so important that you're right, it did sort of put us onto the onto the scene. Um, so many people who hadn't heard of us before did, and part of it was the sort of almost quasi-negative um, way that the legacy media reported on us. They always uh, you know wanted to note that we were we were right wing or some of them even claimed that we were far right, which we're obviously not. But but you know that 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 helped with um, you know proving that we were really we were here for the fight. We weren't going to give up. We weren't going to roll over. Uh, we were we were going to report. We won, and I, I think it was a victory for all Canadians for freedom of speech and freedom of the press. Uh, this year, this time around, twenty twenty one, we didn't even have to do that because we've clearly already proven to the, the people who tried to balk us in twenty nineteen. Uh, we've, we've proven them wrong, and we've proven that we do have a right to be reporters, and that's what we do day in and day out. And so that was sort of a relief, and it enabled us to do the real journalism and the real work. And I, I, I must say, it was it was fun. It was really fun to. Do you know to see you out on the campaign trail, Andrew? Um, I started doing my daily show for True North, which I continue to do. The Candace Malcolm Show comes out Monday to Friday, uh, every day. Oh, sorry, I'm not. I'm not doing one tomorrow because it's it's a holiday, uh, New Year's Eve. But typically, you know, every every uh, day, and it's great to keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on and comment on a lot more things than I used to comment on. Um, but also those live events that we did. We we had a live event that the night that the um, election was kicked off, and you were in Ottawa, and you know that was great. Uh, we covered the debate. Uh, you again were in Ottawa or in Gatineau, um, covering it. We had the live team in Toronto, and then we did our big um, election night special. We we did that remotely. We had people all over um, the country, but really, I had uh, to come we, home we for that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, it, it was it was fun. It was great. We, we got to show what we what we're made of, and I think we, we really grew our audience and we continued to grow our audience. So uh, definitely. Um, I agree that the, the, the election was a big one, but, but there was a lot of other things going on this year, Andrew. Why don't you talk about some of your other projects? Talk about your documentary. I know that that was a big um, focus for you. You spent a lot of time on it, and uh, it was fantastic. If you haven't checked it out, um, go check it out. But Andrew, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you talk about it a bit more. Yeah, it feels like so long ago now, but it was really just in the, uh, the summer that this came out. So this goes back to May 2020, when the Liberals put that order in council in effect, banning 1500 variants of firearms, or what the Liberals said were assault weapons, but, but weren't actually. And I fast forwarded to April, March, April, May, which was when we did most of the filming of this documentary, Assaulted Justin Trudeau's War on Gun Owners. And I, I told a different side of the story, which is in and of itself what True North does. But I tried to explain the unintended consequences, or in some cases, perhaps intended consequences that the Liberals had in advancing and championing these restrictive measures on firearms. And at the time that I, I recorded this, you had had businesses that had been saddled with literally tens of thousands of dollars, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars of inventory for months with no recourse in sight. The buyback that the government has promised, even now, a year and a half later, has not materialized. So businesses that are forced to hold on to this inventory, technically in May, the government's amnesty period is ending. So I will be a criminal as of May 
for my gun, which the government says I need to sell back to the government, but isn't even giving me the means to do it. So all of these things that have been missing from the media's coverage of the gun issue in Canada, we delved into, and it was originally going to be a just one part, and then it became two parts, and eventually we had four parts looking at the effect on sports shooters, on business owners, on a lot of other people, on crime, and, and some of these areas that as well we need to talk about, but we certainly aren't. And I think it was an important... Uh, how would I put it? It was important to just have an honest discussion about guns in Canada. Right, which is something that's just so poorly uh, missing from our from our civil society, from our political class. They don't even want to talk about these issues. They all agree we should just do whatever the liberals say. And it was it was so great to to see you being able to do that. And I, you know, again, from a perspective of True North, being able to produce such a slick, professional-looking documentary that really did explore an issue in depth, told the other side of the story. Uh, that the the people that you interviewed. In some ways, it was surprising because you, you kind of think, you know, you have a stereotypical view of a gun owner, and, and it's not that there's anything um, wrong with that view. You know, those are the people who are lawful uh, gun owners who have just as much right to their property. Uh, but, but you also interviewed um, Olympians and, and, and women that use uh, weapons of self-defense. You, you really went into it and, and, and showed the story um, in a great way, and, and, and we really appreciated that. Yeah, it was amazing. And again, this was a project that was a lot of work, not just the, the work of being on the road, because we, we traveled much of the country doing it. We couldn't do Atlantic Canada because at the time they were still closed. But we were in BC, we were in Alberta, we talked to people from Saskatchewan, Ontario, and I think we did a lot. And I'm so proud we did it. So I don't know what the next one's going to be. We'll have to uh, let, let me know if you have any ideas. But certainly, I, I yeah, think well, be, especially coming to May more on, on the firearms file. Yeah, and absolutely. I think that there's so many stories out there that, that sort of deserve a deeper dive into them, and, and I hope that True North is able to do that. You know, I was looking through, I had a, our producer put together some uh, suggestions for the biggest stories of the year, Andrew, and some of them I, I almost forgot about. You know, you said that the documentary felt so long ago it was the summer. The We Charity Scandal, do you remember that? <laughs> it, it feels like that happened like five years ago. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it was just this this past spring that we learned that the Trudeau government rewarded We Charity, a charity that um, pays members of the Trudeau family to speak and, and that Trudeau himself has been involved with. Um, they gave a federal contract for $912 million to run this volunteer program. I don't know why you need $900 million to get Canadian kids to volunteer. Um, but, that, but that sort of blew up. And, and the interesting thing about the story is that Trudeau prorogued Parliament to escape uh, scrutiny, basically, to, to, to stop the investigation by a committee into him. Um, and yet, you know, we, we, we re-elected Trudeau to another minority, and it seems like the story has just gone away. Do, do, do you know if there's anything in the works to, 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 to get to the bottom of the uh, violations that occurred with this We Charity uh, contract? I don't know. I, I mean, I remember that famous press conference of, of Pierre Polyev and, and Michael Barrett, the Conservative MPs, standing up, showing all the redacted documents that they weren't being allowed to examine the unredacted forms of. And when Trudeau hit the reset button to prorogue, it was very transparent what he was trying to do. He was trying to stop the investigation, but he also managed to get the attention off of the media, stopped looking into it. The opposition, they tried to you know stir up a, a stink a couple of times, but they couldn't really get any traction on it. And then you, you fast forward, there's an election and it's as though everyone's forgotten it. It's the same model we saw in the lead up to the 2019 election with SNC-Lavalin. It's all the rage, it's a scandal, even the legacy media is covering it and then just eventually people move on. And the idea of, of Teflon Trudeau is, is still very much a constant in Canadian politics. 
It's pretty wild that um, that, that Trudeau is able to get away with so much because even during the federal election, we barely heard anything about the We Charity scandal. That's just not what the Conservatives were focusing on. You know, they were trying to paint a positive uh, picture of their own party, but they, I think, missed the mark by not <laughs> holding Trudeau to account for his own scandals and, and you know, the questionable things uh, ethics-wise he does in government. All right, let's uh, switch focus, Andrew, and look at the year ahead. So 2022 is going to be a big year. We know that we have municipal elections in Ontario. Um, um, there will be the Ontario provincial election. Um, there's big questions around whether or not there will be a leadership review federally with Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole. There's been a movement um, for that to happen. Um, why, don't, why, don't, why don't we go through and talk about some of the big stories? And I, and I want you to specifically talk about um, a new initiative that you are running with Danielle Smith because you got me involved and it was a great honor to be a little bit involved, not very involved, but a little bit involved. Um, so why don't you, well, let's start. Let's talk about um, Conservatives Who Care. Yeah, well, I hope you get more involved next time. So this was a project that actually came about just over dinner in Alberta with Danielle Smith, the former leader of the Wild Rose and now a veteran broadcaster in Alberta. And we were trying to figure out at, at first a way of how do we get all these people in Canada that care about issues pertaining to liberty together and, and to play ball. And then it became something else, which was how do we actually have an impact greater than what we're doing already and, and put our heads together. And, and this idea came up. Danielle Smith's been involved in a local uh, charitable women's group in her part of Alberta, where every three months, the 100 women get together and they all vote on a worthy cause. And whoever they all, whoever the majority votes for, every one of the 100 women gives $100 to. So $10,000 in aggregate goes to whatever group uh, this individual or, or this organization votes for. And they do this every three months. So in the course of a year, they're putting $40,000 towards worthwhile causes and initiatives. And we figured, well, what if we did that, but with groups that are doing things that matter to libertarians and conservatives? And we formed the, these two companion groups. Danielle Smith is uh, helming libertarians who care. I'm helming conservatives who care. Now, truth be told, there, there, there's no criteria for entry. We simply do it that way because some people might not identify in, in one way or they may not like the other name. But the reality is these are, are groups that are focusing on, on liberty. And we had our first meeting and True North was one of the nominees for Conservatives Who Care. A second place by one vote, which is always, uh, I mean, I, I tried demanding a recount, but it didn't work. Uh, but ultimately, it, it's a, a way for, for people to get together and, and agree that, you know what, we need to do more and, and put some money behind groups that are not getting the big grant donations. They're not getting the media attention, but they're doing things that people on the right should care about. And and I think the uh, one of the, the big nominees was the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Canada Strong and Free was also nominated. And also some smaller groups and individuals that are doing things of note. So I, I think True North will probably be nominated in the future and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be able to win one of them. But it's a, a really exciting project. And, and, you know, I'm just basically steering uh, this this group, but it's the the members that decide where the money goes. Well, I just think it's such a great idea because, you know, it, it feels really good to donate $100 to charity. Uh, it feels even better to know that you're part of a group that has been able to raise, in, in this case, you know, thousands or tens of thousands potentially, because um, that has such a big impact um, beyond. So, so the kind of idea of like coming together as a community, I thought it was great. And it was an honor to be selected to be alongside some of those sort of giants of the conservative or libertarian um, movement. So I, I applaud you for that. I, I think, you know, we, we, we should all be a little more charitable 
charitable and we should all um, work for others, uh, not, not always just ourselves. So uh, this is a great model and I, I, I look forward to participating again and I, I want to join as well and th throw in uh, throw in $100 to which, whichever group wins. So can you tell us how, how, can, how, can we, how can we get involved? How can we join your, your Conservatives Who Care group? Yeah, so basically, if uh, we're, we're still setting up, I mean, this is very grassroots, we're still setting up a lot of the infrastructure to, uh, to formalize it. But uh, Danielle Smith has kindly agreed to maintain the list. So if you're, you're interested, you can uh, email Danielle, who's at uh, danielle at daniellesmith.ca, or me, who's andrew at andrewlawton.ca, and we'll get you put on, on the list. So andrew at andrewlawton.ca is the way I can make sure you, you get on there. But it's a lot of fun, and, and we're working in the next couple of weeks at actually getting up a, a database that's a little bit more structured. But we wanted to see who uh, would actually come and who would participate. And, and that first session, I think we raised about 15 thousand dollars so uh, a lot of uptake and we're, we're really happy to see where it goes I, I was honestly impressed that you had whatever it was 60 or 70 people on a zoom call in the middle of the day on a saturday just just that alone was impressive but that it's like oh, wow all these people are giving a hundred dollars as well it's great so uh congrats to that. okay let's let's go back to the news andrew let's talk about what will be the biggest stories of the year so i listed off a couple there with some elections and leadership review what, what are you specifically looking forward to in 2022 I think civil liberties will continue to be a, a big issue. I, I know that a lot of these court cases that have been launched for pandemic-related measures ha have been kicked down the road because of judicial economy, they call it, you know, what courts can actually withstand as far as their bandwidth. But I know in the coming year, there, there are going to be a number of these big cases scheduled, and, and we're certainly going to be covering it. I also think the China relationship is going to be a, a big one with, with Canada here because we, we've had a, a little bit of a shift, not a huge shift, but a little bit of a shift since the release of the two Michaels in the way that the Canadian government wants to address China. And I, I don't want to give Justin Trudeau too much credit, but he has taken a bit of a tougher line in a couple of comments relative to where he was even a few months ago. So I think that's going to be a, a bigger picture a topic, certainly, but one that I think will have some very uh, specific um, reanimations of in the coming months and in the year ahead. Very interesting. Yeah, well, those will definitely be things to watch. And, and, and again, just continuing, I, I said yesterday that the biggest story of the year was just COVID, the fact that it's still a huge feature in our lives and, and seeing how or if or, or whether the, the government is willing to lessen its grip on, on society and whether we can fight and get civil liberties back. Uh, certainly, I, I agree that's going to be a big one for me. I think I, I'm really curious uh, about how the elections are going to go, especially just considering the sort of departure that we've seen from so many conservative leaders from core principles, whether it's Jason Kenney in Alberta, Doug Ford in Ontario, Aaron O'Toole is probably the worst defender federally, where, where, where the way that they lead, the policies that they take, the positions they stand on, have no real connection to principled conservatism. We don't see that sort of defense of first principles, the defense of the idea of, you know, conservative parties supposed to be different than a liberal party. They're supposed to take different positions. They're supposed to be able to defend, you know, the idea of limited government, the idea of free markets, the idea of reducing government spending, the idea of opposing heavy-handed government lockdowns and, and, and measures. And I'm curious to see, Andrew, whether there will be any sort of revolt by grassroots members of these parties, because I know just from my own conversations with friends, both in Alberta and Ontario and federally, 
people aren't happy with the leadership. People aren't happy with the way that uh, the Alberta government was arresting pastors in Alberta or the way that um, Doug Ford said adamantly he doesn't want to live in a split society with a vaccine mandate. And then a few weeks later, he introduced his own vaccine mandate. We now live in a society where we have a lower class, lower class citizens. We have first world citizens and second class citizens. And I think that for a lot of people, it's just not okay. So I'm, I'm curious whether there will be any kind of reviews in the leadership of someone like Jason Kenney or Aaron O'Toole and, and whether the conservative base will show up at all uh, for Doug Ford, given what he's done over the last two years. Yeah, those are, are two huge questions. Uh, Jason Kenney, just as a primer here, is set to be uh, have his leadership reviewed in April. So again, you know, a lot can happen in a couple of months. I, I know at the convention they had in November, there wasn't a leadership review, but there was some tension leading up to it of, of presidents of, of local associations not happy with Jason Kenney. So whether he can hold on to his own leadership in April is going to be a big story. And, I, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to be on the ground in, uh, I think it's in Edmonton, covering that. So that'll be one to watch. And, and then, yeah, going back to the fall or the, the summer, the Ontario election. I wonder what you think, though, about Aaron O'Toole. I don't think I've had this conversation with you, Andrew. I, I, I've been very open and, and, and let it be known that I was really unhappy with the direction that he took the Conservative Party in the last election and he abandoned principles. I think that he took a risk. He took a concerted effort to say, I'm going to swing to the left. I'm going to really um, hug Justin Trudeau on as many policies as I can. I'm not going to defend conservatism. I'm going to um, really emphasize my progressive personal liberal values. And, and, and the bet didn't pay off. It didn't pay off. The Conservatives lost. They lost worse than they did in 2019. We've seen little rumblings here and there. I know you had Senator Denise Batters on your show, uh, but there hasn't been any kind of a big caucus revolt. And the Conservative members I talked to, they some, some of them say, oh, I agree with you um, that, that we know we should be more conservative, but we support Aaron O'Toole, we support Aaron O'Toole. Contrast that with just conversations I have with like regular people. I was talking to a neighbor of mine the other day. I didn't know she was conservative at all. And she was just talking about how um, what a horrible leader the conservatives had selected because he was so condescending and, and his attitude was so arrogant and he spoke down to people and this is someone that's pretty apolitical um, and that was her oppression um, of the leader of her own party so I just I just don't really see him connecting with people and yet the sort of party apparatus has really dug in to defend him so anyway long question but uh, what, what do you think of Aaron O'Toole's chances of surviving and, and what do you think of the leadership style that he's had for the party? Well, he's had, I think, and you, you note that obviously Denise Batters has been the most prominent critic of his, but he's had a fairly ironclad grip on his caucus. There has not been much in the way of criticism from his caucus. A couple of Alberta MPs, Chris Warkington and Shannon Stubbs, have made some comments about leadership, and they were, of course, punished by not being given shadow cabinet spots. But for the most part, there's been nothing. Everyone has just shut up. And, and you know what? That may bode well for him if he's not getting the call from within the House and, and anyone feels like if they criticize him, they'll be kicked out and they don't want to face that. They don't want to have to confront that. So I, I do think that internally he can hold on. But remember, it's the members who get the final say. And, and that convention, he has a, the benefit of time because it's not scheduled for him until 2023, which has been why Denise Batters and why Bert Chen were trying to move it up because they know that the anger is fairly palpable now. 
Well, exactly. And, and the, the whole point is that if you wait until 2023 and that anger doesn't go away, it doesn't subside, and there's still people who, uh, you know, the base, the people who want to see conservatism defended um, are disappointed. And then, you know, the example of someone like my neighbor who doesn't really pay much attention to politics, but when she does, she noticed that this guy is kind of like a bad dis, uh, d demeanor and that she didn't relate to him, she didn't find him electable. Um, you know, if, if all of a sudden you have that bubbling over in 2023 and you want a leadership review, you could be cutting it pretty close to a general election where you are in a minority situation. Minority governments tend to last two years tops. And so it just seems like a bad strategy for the conservatives to wait that long. Yeah, it does. And what they're doing or what Aaron O'Toole is doing, rather, is being able to say when 2023 comes, oh, well, hang on, you got to keep me around because there could be an election at any given moment. So it's delay, delay, delay. And in doing so, the imminence of an election is really his greatest trump card for why no one should get rid of him and plunge the party into a leadership review. Well, if, if that does happen, Andrew, he better win that election. He better do everything he possibly can um, to, to win, because if he, if he doesn't, then I, I don't even need to say it, but his political career uh, won't, won't be going on for much further after that. All right, Andrew, well, as always, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for helping us uh, break down what the big stories were and look ahead uh, to 2022. We really look forward to the work that you're going to do for us in the next year. I can't wait. Happy New Year to you and, and keep, all, keep well, everyone, uh, you and, and those watching. Thank you so much. And yeah, to everyone watching, thank you so much for your support of True North throughout the year. We really couldn't do it without your support. It's, it's so exciting as a journalist to see uh, Canadians willing to reach into their own pocket and fund media, fund independent, honest media. And it's really heartwarming to say, you know, this is the last show of the year. So I just wanna say thank you from the bottom of my heart to everyone who has supported True North, or even just the people who continue to listen to our material, listen to my podcast, share it, like it, all of those things, it's all good. It all helps uh, with the momentum and the movement um, and True North Nation. So thank you so much. Happy, happy new year to you and your family, and we will see you again next year.